chapter three of lincoln the lawyer this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. lincoln the lawyer by frederick trevor hill chapter three the primitive bench and bar of indiana of course the boonville courthouse bore no resemblance to anything even remotely suggesting the domed dignity of a modern hall of justice but though no picture of the building has been preserved the loss is not important for similar structures have been accurately described by lawyers who practised in those early days for instance we know that the first courthouse at springfield destined to be the capital of illinois was erected at a cost of forty two dollars and fifty cents it was built of rough logs and consisted of one room the jury retiring to any sequestered glade they fancied for their deliberations and the indiana courts were almost as unpretentious they were either frame or log structures generally divided into two rooms the larger serving as a place of trial and the smaller as clerk's office judge's chambers and jury room combined at one end of the trial room there was usually a platform three feet high and on this was placed the judge's bench a rough board affair capable of seating three men in front of this platform stood a crude plank settee for the lawyers and a small table for the clerk of the court and official privacy was ensured for those dignitaries by an improvised railing consisting of a long pole fastened to the walls with withes the rest of the space was open to the public and so freely did it avail itself of the privilege that there was seldom even standing-room inside the building and seats in the windows were always at a premium one of the circuit prosecuting attorneys of indiana who practised during lincoln's boyhood has left a record of his observations at fall creek the court was held in a double log cabin he writes the grand jury sat upon a log in the woods and the foreman signed the bills of indictment which i had prepared upon his knee there was not a petty juror that had shoes on all wore moccasins and were belted around the waist and carried side knives used by the hunters it must not be inferred from this that only jurors went armed and caparisoned in this fashion in the days when lincoln haunted the boonville courts everybody from the judge to the humblest spectator wore deer-hide suits and moccasins of the same material indeed he had arrived at manhood before clothing of dyed wool and tow began to be worn and for a long time afterward it was only the women who adopted such garments but the judge and juries in buckskin were shrewd and fearless administrators of justice and the lawyers who practised before them were men of equal calibre almost any one who chose to do so could follow the profession of the law there were no regular examinations for admission to the bar 
and a license to practice could be obtained by any applicant of good moral standing which was about the only qualification most of the practitioners lacked according to one authority if a man was a fluent talker pugnacious shrewd and able to think on his feet he was fully equipped for the duties of the profession education was not necessary and although there were a few advocates in the early history of indiana who were fairly well read none of them had any pretensions to learning indeed scholarship would have been lost on the courts to say nothing of the juries for many of the judges were uneducated some were almost illiterate and none of them well grounded in the law or versed in its technicalities general marston clark was one of the judges whose portrait has fortunately been preserved he was an uneducated backwoods muscular six-footer whose judicial costume was a hunting-shirt leather pantaloons and a fox-skin cap with a long queue down his back and who wrote his name as large as john hancock in the declaration of independence truly a formidable figure of a man and although history reports that he was no lawyer his conduct of the case of one john ford demonstrates that no lawyer could trifle with him this john ford was arrested for horse-stealing and his counsel interposed various technical objections to the indictment on the ground that the prisoner's name was john h ford and not plain john ford that there was no value alleged for the stolen horse and finally that the animal was not a horse but a gelding all of these preliminary pleas were overruled by the court and the trial proceeded with the result that the prisoner was convicted and sentenced to thirty-nine lashes then the defendant's attorney moved for a new trial because there was no proof that the crime had been committed in indiana judge clark was no lawyer but he saw the force of this contention and advised counsel that he would take the matter under consideration and render his decision within twenty-four hours the moment the court adjourned however he ordered the sheriff to see that the thirty-nine lashes were well laid on and when the court reopened next morning he gravely took up the unfinished business of the previous day he had come to the conclusion he announced that the point raised by ford's attorney was well taken and that a new trial must be granted but at this juncture the prisoner interposed in his own behalf protesting that he knew when he was beaten and that he had had enough law and desired the court to take no further trouble on his account another judge is reported to have quelled a disturbance in his court by descending from the bench and thrashing the nearest offenders to a standstill i don't know what power the law gives me to keep order in this court he admitted as he resumed his coat and the bench but i know very well the power of god almighty gave me little informalities of this sort were not infrequent but they detracted nothing from the dignity of the courts though the free and easy proceedings were sometimes astonishing as i entered the court-room relates an observer of the hudson trial the judge was sitting on a block paring his toe-nails when the sheriff entered out of breath and informed the court that he had six jurors tied up and his deputies were running down the others 
apparently jury duty was no more popular in those days than it is now but because these frontier courts and their presiding officers lack the formality and decorum which a later day demands it must not be inferred that there was any element of farce or travesty in the administration of the law the surroundings which to-day lend substance and dignity to courts would not have been tolerated on the frontier formalities would have divested the proceedings of all meaning and interest for the people and made a mummery out of what was real the pioneers were not peasants who had to be impressed by ceremonials and awed into a respect for authority they were thoughtful independent men governing themselves and the judges the courts and the laws were of their own making the idea of a judge maintaining order with his fists may seem ludicrous to us but judicial robes to say nothing of mace-bearers wigs and canopies would have seemed far more laughable to the settlers they possessed a natural genius for self-government recognized the authority of the law and they fulfilled it in the case of hudson before referred to where the judge was surprised at his toilet and the jury had to be corralled by sheriff's deputies the defendant a white man indicted for killing an indian was promptly convicted despite the fearful prejudice against the redskins which existed among the pioneers an exhibition of judicial temperament and regard for duty which should shame many a jury of to-day it was among men of this stamp and character that lincoln passed his boyhood and it was their administration of justice which won his respect and first encouraged him to think of a legal career End of chapter three